Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Man Is It Hard. My name is Brennan Couch, a licensed clinical social work associate with a master's degree in social work. And I'm Benjamin Scammon, an intern with a bachelor's of science in psychology. Have you ever wondered about the silent struggles lurking behind closed doors? Join us as we unravel the unspoken challenges faced by men in their daily struggle. In a world where vulnerability is often seen as weakness, we dive deep into the raw, powerful narratives of men battling their inner demons. From navigating relationships to confronting societal expectations, this podcast sheds light on the real, emotional experiences that shape a person's mental health. It's not just a conversation, it's a movement. Welcome to the space where we break the silence, batter stereotypes, and build strength, one conversation at a time. In today's episode, we're really going to be discussing some of the struggles that Ben and I have gone through in our life, and general introduction of how we got to where we are today. So, Ben, you've grown up in this small area of North Carolina pretty much your whole life, correct? Yeah, nearly all of it. You know, I was in Fayetteville up until I was four, which is not memory at all at that point, you know, so... From what I know, my my whole life has been lived and served here. And it's, you know, it's got its ups and downs being in a small town kind of area. What about you? You know, you, I know you've grown up all over the state. Yeah, well. And all over multiple states, right? Oh, no, absolutely. My mom was Air Force when I was about, from ages one through five. We lived in Germany for a period of time, so I've lived overseas before. My dad was also a businessman, so we we did move around quite a bit, also due to him and his his career. And so I've been in Montana. We had a small private ranch and pretty much lived off the grid for a period of time in my life. We lived in California, Colorado, Texas, and now North Carolina. And I've also lived in Washington for a brief period of my life as well. So that is like tenfold experience of, of what I've got in terms of even going places. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm blessed in many ways because of that, just because, you know, the culture is very different from state to state. And also just the the people and how they treat you is also very different. And, you know, I've, I've gone on vacation to Hawaii and stuff. So I've also had a lot of just integration into various cultures as well. And my stepdad, he had family who was of African descent. And so I also got experience with African Americans and how they live their daily life and just the daily struggles that they go through. So I've seen and experienced a lot for sure. I'm sure that I can, well, I can't really relate, but you know, it, it definitely brings interest. You know, a lot of my issues can maybe stem from not wanting to get out. And so it makes me wonder if, you know, how is it with trying to develop bonds and stuff like that when you can't really get a get a foot down get get a holding in an area you're trying to stay uh it was very difficult yeah growing up just moving from state to state i mean i i definitely made friends but quickly learned that those friendships were fleeting and it was very difficult i mean this was in an age like early 2000s where internet was wasn't i mean social media wasn't really a thing yet and internet was just starting to become more mainstream at that time. And so being able to keep those friendships, I mean, I had to pretty much rely on memorizing their phone number or contact information. And sometimes that became a real struggle, uh, especially as someone who has been diagnosed with ADHD since I was about three or four years of age. So just keeping track of everything was a real struggle. And, you know, I, I have a stepdad and that was also a struggle growing up because 
I didn't really get to know my father very well. And when I was five, he passed away. He, um, he overdosed on prescription medications. So that was also uh, a difficult kind of situation for me to really understand at the age of five. Um, I never really quite understood the whole concept of that. So I also got introduced to the whole idea that life is fleeting. And I think that's when I started having a more pessimistic view on life. And now through therapy, that's definitely helped a lot for me kind of gaining a more optimistic point of view yeah. and having more of a hopeful viewpoint for the future than I normally would have. I, I, and I can fully relate to needing to switch some of those words around after things get rough. I've been in very similar situations. You know, I hadn't even realized about your, your father after working here. You know, I just thought you guys were all the couches and just things kept moving. So that's, that's definitely a, a hard thing to go through. You know, I have, well, I mean, of course I have military family. It's North Carolina. And so I, I understand like the, the pain of losing a loved one. You know, for me, it was going back to, I think I was about 13 and it was losing like my grandfather and my aunt at the same time both due to their own cancers and whatnot. That was like a hard, after never losing anyone, um, to then go and lose like two people at the same time and having to stop by one person's place and make sure they were good. And then you weren't done for the day. You had to go to the next person's place. And it's, it can take a lot out of you. Even when it relates to you, still having to also care for yourself, care for those around you and, and whatnot. It was lot of those moments for me that led me to end up helping my mom and get her trust in helping care for her and help care for others right yeah I would agree it's it's very it's a difficult thing to deal with and Especially when you don't understand, I mean, at a young age, you don't really understand what grief even is. And so when I was five, just getting the news, I still have the memory of getting the news that, oh, hey, by the way, your biological father is gone. And I remember not really feeling anything or really caring at the time. I mean, part of that is probably just because of, I was so young and I didn't. I didn't really have the mental brain power to really understand it. I completely understand. I was the same way with my grandfather. I don't I don't think that's weird at all. I I completely just stood there and was just you know, I remember driving a golf cart to help people get to the site and stuff like that. I mean, I was just bored. I didn't I didn't know. I think I don't even think I was 13. I think I was more like 10. I just couldn't process it I mean it just doesn't have the same impact like it does on an adult or like it would have on us both today right well and and also I think as I got older I mean I, I definitely have experienced my fair share of family deaths um my stepfather's grandfather's or my stepfather's father my grandfather passed and I remember kind of feeling terrible about myself because I didn't feel bad and it's not that I didn't like my grandfather or anything like that I think a lot of it was I didn't really spend a ton of time around my stepdad's father so I just didn't form that emotional bond so to speak and I think also just the other thing that I was battling with was, you know, this isn't my real father. This is my stepfather. So there was that going on at the time as well. And my stepdad and I, we have definitely had our moments <laughs> for sure. Absolutely, don't we all? And for the longest time, 
I actually, after I really thought about it, I think a lot of just my internal anger and frustration was aimed towards my stepfather. And a lot of that was based off of me blaming him for my father's death. So, and you know, in some ways that makes sense because you're a young age and you can connect the dots of, oh, hey, my dad's dead and now there's this new person in my life. So maybe they're related, which they weren't, of course. That's just how I made it a reality in my own head. So yeah, that was a very difficult thing. And I, I really came to grips with it in my mid-20s, really, and had a conversation with my stepdad about it. And we uh, we agreed to kind of clean the slate and move our relationship in a positive way forward. So um, I'm definitely thankful that I was given that opportunity. Yeah. There are definitely a lot of people out there that don't have that opportunity. I just keep going sometimes, I'm, you know, and I feel that I, I definitely with my biological dad, I think with us, it's just like this unspoken, like, all right, we're going to stop acting like this now. And we just keep going. <laughs> so I, I understand what you mean. Not everyone gets, and everyone's dynamics different. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've definitely come to a place where we have a very healthy relationship, I think. Um, I'm able to pretty much talk to him about pretty much anything at this point, I feel like I can really lean on him as a role model. Whereas in the past, I didn't really view him as that. And, you know, an another thing that I really struggled with was with my peers. And I think part of that was, you know, all the moving making those connections can be difficult especially when you're moving in the middle of like years for me one of the biggest moves that i remember was at the end of seventh grade we moved during the summer to colorado and i was at a new school for my eighth grade year and usually you know the sixth seventh eighth some schools at seventh and eighth that are like middle school right and so that was very difficult because everyone had already knew each other. I was the new kid on the block and it was, you know, I was also in a private school from grade six through really my junior year of high school. And in eighth grade, I was at a Catholic school. And before that, I was at a Christian school. Those are two completely different value systems groups you're around i can only imagine yeah just adjusting to that was difficult for me yeah. but i really leaned on kind of my talent for singing at the time and so i would sing in church and during mass and you know at the end of the year we got these school t-shirts which i thought was awesome and the teachers came up to me and they said you need to remove your shirt because there's they didn't really tell me the reason why I needed to remove my shirt uh, turns out there's profanity and a bunch of other things um, because everyone was signing each other's shirts and stuff Yeah, and so all these kids that I had invited to my birthday party and that showed up to my birthday party I really just found out they didn't really care and that was just a very brutal experience for me and so I really just stopped trusting people at that point. For sure. And so I think I really stopped focusing on making friends and just kind of really thought everyone was at my enemy at that point. Yeah. I can definitely relate. You know, I've been through some very similar tough times. And it's funny you mentioned those middle school years. I think those are some of the roughest you know the build up to those years is extremely hard i noticed once i got to high school it was like the book had been flipped and everything was different but getting up all the way past eighth grade felt like a living hell for me too um 
you know, I, it was pre-scoliosis surgery for me and I was just always a small kid and I didn't go to church in this area. I have red hair. And so I was just like, you know, it was a joke that I was a little devil child and, and things like that because I was just so different, you know, and I was weird. And it, it led me to take it on later in life in different ways. You know, I was a very happy and very chatty child, but it still hurt a lot. There was a lot of talk about me switching schools when I was young. Um, I'd just come home and cry and stuff like that to my mom. And then she'd be like, well, do we need to put you in a different school? And then I'd freak out even more. And, and that would just make things even worse because then I'd be like, no, then I won't know anyone. I won't see any of my friends anymore because I still, even through all the, all the crap, you know, I still liked my friends and stuff. I just wanted something to change. And so it's a hard time. And like I said, I spent my whole life in this town and, or well, in North Carolina. And I still have, and I think that's always had the impact of me not really wanting to change. You know, most people don't like change already, but for me, I can get really stuck in my ways and in love with a routine and keeping things where they are because it's like, it's what I'm used to. And and it's how things have always been. Just, it's one of those cycles that wasn't really broken until I went away to university, really. So I, I completely understand. Well, and I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned university. I think even even at universities, some some of it still feels like high school. Uh, just just in the way that people act and interact with one another. Oh, for sure. I was just referring to me getting out and actually going places. You know, for the rest of us, were oh, everyone in university is typically so and so inexperienced right so it's it was still all that you know I just felt like because no one knew who I was I could get out and go do more it was like ah none of this is going to be held against me or none of this is going to follow me like the next thing I do and stuff like that which is a, a real thing in, in a town like this I'm like Southern Pines where I've watched people move out because people were talking about them and stuff like that and it becomes like a little town-wide phenomenon and so it's it has its moments of just being a little drama-filled potbelly <laughs> no it really does sometimes in in areas like this the world really can feel small but then I think you know, at other times when you actually get out or travel or find a place to escape to, it can really lead to more of a perspective that, like, even even though, like, there are a bunch of people that may know you in a certain area, it doesn't mean that there aren't areas that you can go where you can just be yourself. Right. And in a small town, that can be difficult because everyone is already set in their certain ways. So if you're if you don't act the way they do or have the same beliefs that you do, then it's kind of it kind of turns into one of those situations of well, either you're the black sheep and you're going to be okay with that or they run you out of town basically. Well, and it's I I do understand them to a degree and it's it's hard because it's like I get I get a pass because I'm setting my ways, but I'm kind. They don't get a pass because they're setting their ways and they're unkind. And so it's, it's hard, you know, and it's, they are my people and it's, it becomes a big problem where it's like, I understand where they're coming from, but I also see the issues and it stops people from wanting to come here. And then honestly, it kind of drives some of the people that have been here for a long time out just with all the chaos and the fact that a place is always going to be growing and it'll get to a point where it's too big for some of us and whatnot. So it's it's a battle. It's a struggle for balance, honestly, especially in a small town where you are, you are known. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think 
you know, the idea of it takes a village has kind of left our culture in general in America. I, th I think really, I mean, I there are a lot of other countries that where community is really important and they're out to help one another and make sure everyone in their community is doing okay. Whereas here, you know, we have more of a individualist thought process where yeah. it's kind of every man for himself. I agree. And not to bring in a completely random topic, but I think a big part of that was Corona because having grown up here, there were so many youth programs and activities and things online and, you know, not to bring up like dating sites where there was like more singles and, and things like that where it was are all these programs to get people meeting and social outings and whatnot and the reindeer races and stuff. And it feels like so much of that just dropped off the face of the earth after Corona. I, I just don't know if that area is fully recovered yet or if if those kinds of projects could take being on hiatus. for. Yeah, the coronavirus or COVID as most people probably know it, definitely. And I, I think in some ways, you know, in my mind, it kind of gave introverts the out. Like, it's okay to not have to leave the house and be social. Like, I can, I can, I can now live the life that I want. Whereas for, you know, the extroverts, they really struggled that they, they had to learn how to quarantine themselves and be away from people that they normally see on a regular basis. It was a huge blessing and a curse all in one. You know, worrying about parents that might be more prone to the virus and things like that. And that's stopping you from going out. So you're constantly worrying, like, to lose a parent and you have to be extra precautious. But you're also like, oh my God, I get to finally be myself, especially if you're an introvert. And I even think some extroverts probably got a little bit of time for individual self-expression and things like that where we can all kind of get swept away in our day-to-day -day lives and making sure we're meeting up with the people we care about and seeing our friends and just everything. And I think it gave, you know, introverts and extroverts an out to say, take a step back and maybe some of these people I'm not crazy about, some of these jobs I'm not crazy about, some of these places I go I'm not crazy about, I have to do it now. And that can be one of the biggest blessings for almost anyone is being able to say, oh, I get to reprioritize now and no one's going to judge me for it. Right. Yeah. It, it definitely can be a blessing and definitely a curse like you mentioned earlier. And, you know, you know, COVID hasn't completely gone away. And it still kind of feels like people are just disconnected. It doesn't feel, you know, a lot of the mental health services, they went to virtual, which, I mean, in some sense is great. But from my perspective as a mental health professional, I prefer in-person conversation, in-person sessions, because I truly do feel that not only does the client get more out of it, but me as a clinician can kind of gauge where the client is at regarding, you know, their behaviors. Because you, when you're talking to someone through a screen, all you see is their face. And sometimes you don't even get that. Right. So it's really hard. You don't get to see any body movement or anything like that. Yeah. Exactly. And that can be a very big struggle, especially and. I want to specialize in trauma. So trauma work is already very, very difficult. And right, super specific. It is. And 
doing that through a screen is just not ideal. You just really can't connect on an emotional level or even on a mental and physical level like you can in an office. And, and I think also if you're dealing with someone who has had trauma and their environment is chaotic all the time, you're not going to get any work done. And you might not get to see how they act if they're not cool with going out in the open and you want to see how are they even doing in my office where I'm trying to make a con. Exactly. And, you know, as therapists, we really try to make our office space as comfortable and cozy as possible so that right. whenever we have clients, it's not like an instant relief, but they feel like they're being listened to, they're being heard, their problems are getting addressed. And it's a space where they feel comfortable enough to do that. Whereas, you know, in a chaotic environment where you have kids running around or pets running around or your husband's coming in and bothering you during session, it can really cause breaks in the work. And when that happens, it takes a whole lot longer uh, for for the person to reach their goals. And then also it just makes it difficult as the clinician to see and hear what's going on as well. I get that. You know, I'd always just thought of like teenagers and elderly, you know, both people who often have times finding rides. And so I've always just been like, yeah, telehealth, you know, let's get more people in there. I had never really thought about it from the practitioner side of things like that. That's a really well, interesting perspective. Well, because I think people forget that body language is so important. Especially, especially from a mental health standpoint, body language speaks way louder than words in a lot of cases. I can look at someone and they can be all over the place um, with their body, like fidgeting and playing with this, playing with that. And, you know, but they're saying everything is fine. And in my head, I'm like, mm, is it really though? Yeah. And so it really helps me as a clinician kind of know where to move or where I can, where I should be moving towards in sessions with that client and really addressing some of the, because I think a lot of even our body language is subconscious at some point and we don't even recognize, oh shoot, I'm doing this. And right. when you point it out to people, it, I don't want to say it, it's like a wake up call, but it's like, oh, I never, it's, I just normally, it's like a habit. I do it every day. But when you point it out and it's, and it's, you know, it's not necessarily a normal behavior that's seen every day. I hate using the term normal because it's. It's a common. Yeah, I would say common behavior, like a good example. I think that I would use is biting your fingernails. Like I, I do that all the time. I have very high anxiety, so. I'm constantly messing with my nails and my fingers. So I feel that I'm a picker. But when, you know, I, I never gave it a second thought. And then my therapist mentions it. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of that as like an issue or as a problem. So there are some things that we do that we don't think is a problem that might be it's body language that kind of points to maybe an underlying issue that's internal that not to be all medical, you might not but even recognize. Yes, biting your, your fingernails to the quick is not only bad for the nails, but also horrible for your teeth, and you will end up having to go see my father. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm aware of that. But yeah, COVID definitely def didn't, didn't really help anybody. And now we're in a state where I think we're trying to figure out what the new norm is. I just felt like that. I just thought we could get there like. a little quicker, don't you? Yeah, I did. And 
I, I think it's just, it's hard. I think ch change in general is hard for lots of people. And so when we go from pretty much being pulled up in our house to, hey, you can leave now. It's like, mm, do I really want to? <laughs> oh, but how awesome that some people got such an opportunity that now they can say, wow, that was really more me. You know, I think that's some of that introspection that happened during all of that. that people, some people even built the confidence up during a national, you know, pandemic, epidemic that, hey, this is not me though. I, I will not be going back to this after worrying about death every day for 30 years. I will, I'm not going back to this yeah, office. No, absolutely. I'm not going back to this gray building. You know, I, I completely understand. And, and to a degree, it makes me proud of plenty of Americans who have said, I'm, I'm not giving up, but I'm going to go make my money doing something that makes me happy. You know, I think that's a very American ideal. <laughs> right. And you did mention earlier, you know, having had scoliosis surgery and that's a very you know I mean you talk about medical trauma I mean that can really just have an impact on not just mental health but I mean of course it has an impact on it your physical did. health. It did. It has still had trauma to me on this day which feels really hard to talk about too and I think other people who have experienced surgeries maybe even I don't you know, for me, it was on the back, right? Scoliosis. I mean, they took me from about where my neck starts to the base of, you know, my, my booty crack. And it, it that's a big, long cut. I mean, really, without being funny about it. I mean, that's a huge opening. And it had some awesome impacts on me and also some devastating ones in terms of still afterwards feeling like I was going to die. And that's why I say I don't, I'm sure other people who have experienced grave surgeries like that, maybe open heart surgery, things like that, will understand what I'm referring to because it just, it's not the surgery itself, but it's that recovery and that feeling like you can't move afterwards and just wanting to not give up but you just keep saying more time more time more time and none of the drugs are working and it's just such a the more I look back it, it was a very brave <clears throat> process and the whole time that you're recovering from this I mean doctors are looking at you telling you we want to get you out of here right hospitals are huge um hugely prone to spreading bacteria and whatnot around because what happens when you shove a thousand people who are sick into one space? Bacteria travels. And so, you know, it all just felt so quick and so long. And and I think that has definitely had an effect on me to this day in terms of realizing my mortality as well as understanding the life-changing impact that these surgeries can have. Like, not just the physical that these doctors are explaining, but the life-changing mental impacts these surgeons will have on you is truly profound and honestly still a... It's still amazing to me, as terrifying to a degree as it is. It's also incredibly, incredibly profound, like I said, that we can achieve all that. Right. And, you know, I, I really want to just take a quick pivot in topic here. How and really what mental health struggles did you have growing up? Not not just around the scoliosis surgery, but, you know, just additionally on top of that, what were some of the mental health struggles that you experienced? They shifted. They shifted over the years as... I got older when I was young. It was just bullying. And I would cry and I would be sad and unhappy, but all kids have moments where they're unhappy or they don't get what they want or things aren't going perfect, right? 
I don't think that I had depression or anxiety or anything like that when I was a kid. I think my main struggle was just trying to fit in. But as I got older and past that eighth grade stage, eighth grade stage, like you were referring to earlier, you know, I think all of that semi-trauma that I still have trouble admitting to this day, you know, admitting I might not be perfect, you know, and not just imperfections, but things that I'd rather not have happened to me, things I'd rather not admit happened to me. And as I got into high school and hit that 16, 17 stage, which is, I think for most people, where we really start to like wake up and you kind of become like a person. You go from being like a child like a person who was allowed to drive a car, which is a big step, especially in a rural area, is you go from being in the back of a minivan to in like this 97 Ford Taurus feeling like you're in a movie. I mean, it's it's a huge staging growth at that time in an area like And I think after I started driving myself around, getting myself to school getting myself up in the mornings always, making sure I had myself fed and things like that when I was in charge of my whole routine. That I started having some of those negative moments in my life start resurfacing, you know, strangely enough, or or maybe not strangely enough. But it, it was when I was alone with myself for some of the first times, right? And I think that's what a lot of us as adults forget is that there was a time when we weren't alone, not really. You know, especially for parent, people who have like eagle eye parents, that, that parent's always staring at you even from a mile off. Like they know where you are. And it, it was different not to have that constant reassurance and to see what happened and how things fell apart and mental health declined, getting diagnosed with depression and anxiety and just wanting it all to stop. And it, it was a big shift in demeanor in terms of just being like what felt like a basic kid to being like one of the edgy goth emo kids listening to Panic at the Disco and, and thinking I was so cool for having things wrong with me all of a sudden. It, it was quite a time of self-discovery and having to learn about what all that meant now that I was in charge of me. So it's it still has its, its moments and impacts even to this day where I let people's words get to me too much because of that small town mentality. It's it's a process, though, you know, in terms of the growth and getting somewhere. You know, as you said, with, with your issues, you had to change the phrasing, had to change the wordings to get things to be a little bit more positive and less of such a, a sad, sap demeanor. And I think we all go through those moments where even if our problems are real, they're sad, they suck. We don't want to feel like that 24-7. We don't want to be in that wet, soppy pool of sadness forever. And we just want to say, time to jump out of that. And I, I noticed extreme change when I was, I started calling myself out for the quick negative thoughts that I would see where I'd be like ill or ugh, or just simple little reactions that were kind of harmful and hateful, honestly, to other people getting around their day-to-day lives. And I noticed that because I was putting that on other people, these ills and these uggs and these what's the point kind of mentality, that I was then walking around fearing that other people were doing the same thing to me. That other people were looking at me going, ill, that outfit, ugh, what's wrong with him? Things like that, of that nature. And, you know, the positivity really came with me and, of course, with therapy. 
and and changing the negative situations when they came and and trying to flip them on their side the moment they presented and that that was a tough battle yeah my my mental health journey has pretty much been my whole life i mean when i was a kid i was diagnosed with adhd uh, my mom has always been in social work even when she was i mean when she was in the air force she worked as yeah. a social worker and so she was very invested in my health not just mental but also my overall physical health as well and my growth and everything like that so i did all kinds of treatments i did biofeedback and i remember bringing one of my friends and the only thing i can remember my friend saying was there's something wrong with him and i kind of grew up feeling like that my whole life that something's wrong with me being different isn't okay it's not okay to you know you're going to struggle with certain things i mean i was told a lot throughout my childhood you're really going to struggle in it in, in school you're you're not going to do well in certain subjects you're and I th- and, and were these adults saying this to you? Oh, yeah. Not necessarily teachers. My stepdad at the time, he didn't really understand mental health or what I was experiencing. So he tried to really teach me the things that I struggled with. And that's respectable as a parent. I think parents should be there to help their children excel or at least reach a level that the child is proud of in a subject that they might be struggling with. For me, math was a very was a very big struggle growing up and I remember when I was in first or second grade my dad was trying to teach me math at a much higher level. Part of it was because he knew we were moving to California and that the math there is a little bit more advanced than what I was currently doing. So he wanted me to get to their level, basically. And while I don't necessarily disagree with that method, I think it would have really gone a long way just to hear that even though you're struggling in these subjects, it's going to be okay. Because for him, he always made it seem like math was like the most important subject. Like you're going to have to know this when you're older. I'm like, okay, I use math. I do. Basic addition, division, multiplication. I don't do those X, Y exponents, equations, you know? (laughs) So. I'm just like, I have to do this. Yeah, well, and and it's just. Finding the field of social work. I mean, yes, there was math and social work. We had to take a statistics, a statistics class. But that's that's applied research, and that made a whole lot more sense to me than these, you know, X plus Y equals or, you know, MX plus B type stuff. I had some good teachers where I actually really excelled in their math classes. I've also had terrible teachers where I really struggled. Um, so teachers definitely really do make a difference in terms of, and it's not necessarily how they teach, it's just teaching styles because everyone learns differently. So I had some teachers who are more hands-on because private school classes are smaller. So we got more one-on-one time with the teacher and they could show us different ways to do the problems. And and that that was one thing that I think really benefited me was knowing that there's more than one way to solve a problem. You don't have, whereas a lot of teachers in public schools, like this is this is how it's done, and that's it. Well, and something I was thinking about is, you know, you you said it earlier, you shifted around, so it's not like I, I can't imagine you were ever on one stable learning like routine, if you will. Like I, I doubt you ever had like the 
correct math and then the correct math that year and then the next correct math, right? When when you move state to state, a lot of the times the classes are all mixed up and stuff as to where right. you came Well, from. and they're very different too. And that that's one thing curriculum, I Curriculum, that's the word. The curriculums yeah, are curriculums way different. curriculums are completely different. Like I remember when, for instance, in California, I don't even think they had sex education. And if they did, it was very brief and it didn't talk really much about the sexual organs or anything like that or how, you know, the female body works compared to the male's body and any it didn't go in like super depth. And then I remember in ninth grade, the girls in my class were talking about their periods and I just asked, I was because I was curious, I was like, what is that? And they're like, have you never taken a sex ed class? I'm like, I just don't know what it is. You could just explain it to me and not not be not make me feel like I'm stupid. But you can I think it's so funny because that is once again what I do. I take my words and I put it on that. I'm like, don't take that on, Mr. Brandon. You make them weird. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, so, I mean, I didn't, I didn't say anything to them. I didn't really respond. And that's another thing that really happened after eighth grade is I really stopped standing up for myself. I pretty much let, I just let people walk all over me. And... I think I lost a lot of my own self-respect during that time and made a lot of made a lot of decisions that just weren't logically sound either. And I mean, I it, on top of, you know, I I did biofeedback at a young age. I was on medication. I was taking Concerta and then when I hit 16, I started feeling very, very depressed. I was cutting my arms, and yeah, it was just one of those situations. And I figured it might have been the medication. So we switched medications at that time and also kind of incorporated a... uh, I was seeing a dietitian as well, and they recommended things that I should be eating to help my brain development. And also, I was very short, and my parents were concerned that the ADHD medication I was on might have been stunting my growth. So they took me off of that during my ninth grade year, which helped in some ways, but mentally, it didn't really help me at all. And I really struggled to... and ninth grade uh was very small my ninth grade class was like eight kids so if one of them hated me they all hated me basically uh they would all gang up on me and just mistreat me and i just felt really really alone and like an outcast and the teachers didn't really do anything about it which is even worse Uh, it was a waldorf school performing arts high school Um, i loved performing arts loved singing and that whole experience just kind of ruined those things that I enjoyed so much. And I really stopped, I stopped doing those things for poor people and just started kind of doing it behind closed doors, so to speak. And then after that, my last year of high school was in a public school and I'll admit I did struggle from an educational standpoint. But I think from a social standpoint, that was probably one of the best experiences I had. I have to say, I think, and maybe not to be weird, in a public school setting, well, yes, if you're small and really, you know, if you have a tongue like me, you'll definitely get, you'll get messed up. I mean, I, I ran my mouth a little too often. And, you know, I would get a little bit of feedback from others because of it. And I can wholeheartedly recognize that up until this point. But I think, and I could be off, but I think public school is a little better with like smaller kids and stuff like that now, where they'll be like, this is my small homie and I'm going to protect them. And, you know, so I find that really, you know, hard to hear, you know, like it really sucks to hear because I know that in 
a place where there are a lot more kids, like a public school where it was like, you know, you're saying eight kids a class. I'm over here like, ooh, more like 25 to 30 for us back in the day. It wasn't until college that I even, my last year of college that I even saw a class that size like once. <laughs> so it's, you know, there's some great and there's some crappy things about public school, you know. But I do think at least it's a little easier sometimes to find your niche and stuff like that. Because there were like some of the coolest like four foot guys like at Pinecrest and stuff like that. I remember. So that's why I'm like, dang, that really sucks to hear because it's just, I think if they grouped you around other kids with similar issues and stuff like that, it makes it way less weird, you know, yeah, well, the, what's, the drasticness. Right. Well, what's really hilarious is my 10th and 11th grade years were in a private school that specialized in teaching children who had disabilities. And I loved the system that they had. They had... So it was Denver Academy and a lot of the, and I'll admit as a child, I was still relatively small at that time too. I wasn't, I, I didn't really hit my growth spurt until like 11th, the end of 11th grade year into my senior year. So I did still get bullied and a lot of it wasn't really addressed and a lot of it wasn't even really me who was doing those behaviors. I trusted certain people and they took advantage of that trust and it really just had a negative effect and a negative impact on my social life. And yeah. I remember there was a there was one issue with a kid and instead of the school dealing with it, they were more worried about getting sued. And in my head, as an adult, I'm just like, that just makes no logical sense. Like, if you don't want to get sued, you address the issue. <laughs> so, but... What if you're Pinecrust. Yeah, so for 11th and... 12th graders at that school, they actually had two different divisions. They had the progressive division and they had the prep division. So prep was all about like education. Uh, you learn by, you're like, it's like your auditory learners and your, your visual learners basically. And then the progressive is more your kinesthetic learning with your hands so they had more like art classes more music classes more more creative more creative things so your creative thinkers would go to progressive me i wanted to prove something to myself so i chose prep realizing i probably should have chose progressive because i probably would have enjoyed myself a lot more hindsight 2020 but yeah and then you know as an adult i really struggled mentally as well and I think a lot of that was just due to I was never the best at getting into relationships like romantic relationships or even having like having friendships and a lot of the times when I did make friends I had two to three really close friends and that, that was the most and you know when you've never experienced you know what it's like to have more friends you always want more it's never enough you kind of get into that mindset. And I really struggled. I made one really good friend when we moved here because the first time we moved here, we were in Durham. Dad, My dad was going to Duke University to get his degree in nursing. And when we moved to Durham, I made some questionable friends. <laughs> Didn't necessarily hang out with the right crowd. We all go through one of those phases. Right? Yeah, and, you know, and so after that period, I made a really good friend with someone I worked with at Harris Teeter, and which is a grocery store. 
and he worked in the deli and his name was Philip and he had Asperger's and he was like the best friend that anyone could really ask for and I still honestly even though I don't really reach out to him as much as I probably should I still consider him to be one of my best friends he's just he just un- understood me on a different level and I and I think part of that is because we were both neurodivergent in some way and I think even even myself and I've come to realize this even today I I think I also have some spectrum tendencies so I think him and me we really meshed together because we understood our hobbies the things we enjoyed I mean he really and you know as a kid I had I really enjoyed video games growing up that was like my biggest I I really enjoyed that and music on top you know and singing and all that but I had a two-hour time limit growing up and so when I finally you know reached young adulthood that time limit was lifted and I think that is something that I've just enjoyed throughout my whole life and I think when I was a teenager I really leaned into video games a little bit more because I mean I remember I would I would go to my friend's house. My friends had video games, so we would play. That's all we would do is play video games. And so I would always ask my parents, "Can I go to my friends?" Because I wanted to play video games longer than because they don't have a limit, so I could just play as long as we wanted to at their place. And then so I would do that. And then if they, the only times I think they ever really enforced was if I was in trouble. So like the other times they wouldn't take the power cord. So what I would do is I would wake up like in the middle of the night and I'd be in the basement playing video games while they were asleep. <laughs> uh, I mean, as an adult, it kind of sounds silly, but it's like th- those are some of the things that I would do because I think really during that time, my mom was working because when we were in California, she wasn't working as much. So she was home more of the time. And then during Colorado, she was working with my dad um, they were doing small business consulting and they weren't home as much as they used to be so i had to find ways to kind of entertain myself and i was really struggling in school so i really leaned into video games because they just made me feel better made me forget about my problems and all the issues that i was having well, and not to like be over here diagnosing but i think a big thing about that is stigma and what we like tell each other and stuff like that. And what I've just heard constantly is just like, Brandon's got this going on, Brandon's got that going on and and all the different places that they were sending you really probably doesn't make a person feel very good in terms of trying to teach a child self-soothing, not to be that guy, but that's a big thing that I talk about with one of my best friends who's recently had children is about how self-soothing comes back and affects like every targeting of every aspect of life as they get older because it's really like this the first big self-confidence boost is teaching yourself how to calm yourself even through like a hard situation because I look at video games as like puzzles a lot of the times and so I'll see these people who say I'm not good in school I'm not good in school and then they'll like rush to this video game And to me, I'm seeing physics, I'm seeing math, I'm seeing English go down with these stories, right? I'm seeing them learn science when they learn about gems and minerals and stuff like that. And then they'll be not good at school. And it's like, you You just just apply it. You just can't apply it to a school setting. Different, because a lot of the times, not to be like a non-believer, but I almost think that people are, not almost, I do, I believe people are more high-functioning often and more capable than others are willing to give them credits. And even some doctors are willing to give us credit for, you know, they'll say, you're not going to recover through this surgery or it's going to take you eight months and, and you'll see a person do it in four. And it's because truly it is possible. And 
I think people get doubted too often and then they take that on as true cold hard fact. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, a lot of the time, especially in this day and age, this really is the, the, the age of misinformation. I mean, especially with like, you know, TikTok and just all these influencers, you never really truly know what is what you should be taking in as fact and what you should be taking in as it it's their opinion, not, you know, because there's a big difference I, that I think between opinion and fact. Fact is it can be proven time and time again, whereas an opinion, it's it's their opinion. The statement with and there's no nothing wrong. Truth. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion, but if you're stating your opinion as like a clinical trying to phrase it as like a clinical fact or as just a fact in general, that's where I kind of have an issue. Yeah. Because because then it's like oh, you're taking advantage of people who, not saying they're less intelligent, but maybe who don't know any better, or maybe they don't know how to cross-reference, you know, research to other sources. And so these individuals are just taking advantage of that fact. Well, and then it brings typically embarrassment to others in the field because then they're like, oh, they're going to be asking me about this for a while, right? Yeah. Because it, they do they become these big trending tiktok topics and then everyone's bringing them up and stuff like that and and people will do that with dating you know they'll do that with a lot of life aspects and stuff i keep hearing people bring up the long game to me in dating going going and playing the long haul the long con and i'm just like goodness tiktok is so i i know people are having fun with it but it's sometimes it's just so like off you know, it's just so wrong. And it just comes up with these, like, TV show ideas as, like, psychological fact or medical fact or better up, building fact even, you know, with, with the driveway videos and stuff that everyone's seen. I mean, it's, it's yeah. crazy. You know, it's, No, it is. Yeah. Even there was not to be super random, but there was a rug video that I was seeing on TikTok and it's them cleaning the rugs. And I found out that those are all fake. And that they're dirtying them up before they clean them. And it's just, it's such a misinformation bonanza time. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, ba the big thing with just that is just knowing how to check your sources and knowing, you know, doing further resource, not taking it in as fact immediately. Because and I it's think because people show you something, and so it's yeah. right there in front of you, but it's been pre-gotten yep. ready. Right? Yep. It's been set up. Yep, exactly. And you know that's that's another thing is you don't know what's scripted, what's not scripted. If the person who's talking even wrote it themselves, what? or if they're talking from someone else's point of view, and so you just got to be really careful these days with. The information that you take in and you know these are this episode is really just about our personal stories but in the future we plan on listing bring, sources in one. yeah listing sources bringing in you know actual factual topics and statistics and if there's anything in this video we've said please feel free to do your own research afterwards the only thing it can do is benefit you there's something you're like, mm, not sure about that, or I, I don't know, or I might be different, you know? There's more information and more resources out there, especially on, you know, government.org stuff is always what I search for first, but there are other licensed clinical therapists on YouTube whose videos are extremely helpful. Absolutely. And of course, you know, if... If you ever want to share a story or share an experience or ask questions, you can reach us at manisithard at gmail.com and we'll we'll try our best to respond to those either on air or through email. Depend if you want it on air, then 
um, and you're comfortable with it being on air, of course, we'll air it anonymously so we're not putting out anyone's personal information. Absolutely. But feel free to reach us at, uh, reach us there. And also, we'll be on Instagram too. Yep. Ben, ben is handling the Instagram stuff. And so you can look for us on there and we'll also be on Spotify. And we also have, I believe, an area on our website, serenitymmc.com where you can submit emails, questions, and things of that nature. The podcast will also be posted on the website. Yeah, all of this will be going up in the following days. Yeah, so please reach out to us if you have any questions or comments or a story that you want us to discuss on the podcast. And we look forward to doing future episodes and seeing kind of where where it takes us yeah where this journey takes us and i hope all of you have a great week yeah i do too mr brandon you have a great week and to the rest of the world have a great week you too ben